Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the PaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah. I have, I have two things to tell you after I say, hello, audience. Welcome to the Paleo View. Um, first of all, I just finished Stranger Things 2 with the boys. Have you seen it yet? Have not. And the funny thing was I had somebody else at the gym this morning tell me about it and how much I would like it. Did you so, see the first one? No. Sarah Ballantyne, you are getting homework, girlfriend. Uh, I hope it's more fun homework than the homework I got for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, maybe you have enough free time now to binge watch uh, two seasons of a series. But no, we so we watched Stranger Things with the boys, and the first one was less mature, less scary. It was a little bit of a stretch to watch the second one with Wesley in particular. Um, but we did because we just loved the show. And uh, we're Stranger Things for Halloween, actually. Um, by the time this goes live, photos will be published. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm I'm the mom. Matt's this character that wears a hospital gown and has a shaved head but is a female. And then there's like a group of boys and they ride their bikes with like flashlights on them. And so that's what the boys are for Halloween. They're just going to push their, their bikes. So um, anyway, we're, we're really into it obviously because that's our Halloween costume. And I really think that you would enjoy it. I don't, um, I don't know if you would feel comfortable with the girls watching it, but like if you can watch it at least with Adele, like she would love it too. So. Well, I'm about to go on book tour, so I can maybe like preview it when yeah. I'm like all lonely in a hotel room by myself. It's a good plan. And then if I think it's worthwhile watching with the family, I can like stop because if I wa- I don't, I'm not a person who enjoys watching things mm. m- most of the time twice. Like I feel like I also don't like reading books twice. Like if it's been 20 years and I remembered that I really enjoyed that book, but I don't remember the book. That's a different story. But most of the time I feel like, oh, I've already done this. And there are so many other things that I could do with this time. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I could preview it and, and, and make a decision on that. So that's funny because that's the second time today that it has been recommended to me. So um, <laughs> I can't the other one, didn't mention the other time the was by an eighth grade boy. So um, <laughs> my coach's son. So um, I, I don't know what that means, but uh, I guess it means I should. Uh, you do should like teenage dystopian fiction. Really? I really, really do. I mean, it's essentially what it is. So I know you're yeah. going to love it. I can't wait to that hear sounds you right up my alley then. All right. Look, All right. Look for random, random Instagrams from my book tour. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, because this podcast is going to go live right before I hop on an airplane, um, I am starting my book tour in Seattle. Um, that's this coming week. So I'll be in Seattle on November 8th. I'll be in San Francisco on November 9th. I'll be in I'm, – I'm pulling up my calendar now. I'll be in Boston on November 11th, Long Island on November 12th. I'll be in Chicago on November 14th, Minneapolis on November 15th, and Atlanta on November 16th. So if you live anywhere near those areas, uh, please come out and meet me. Um, it's going to be a great time. Vital Proteins is sponsoring my book tour, and they have samples for me to give out at um, every stop except, bizarrely, uh, Chicago. Their, um, their, where their headquarters is, that bookstore did not approve the samples. So we'll find a way. Maybe we'll just like 
hand them out from the trunk of a car in the parking lot or something. <laughs> we'll find some way around it. Um, It'll be – we'll be following the rules for sure, but we'll, we'll find follow, a way. Follow the rules. Um, but I, um, I'm really excited about this book tour and I, this is the longest I will have ever been away from my family. Um, it's, uh, the longest book tour I've ever done. It's only slightly longer than the, than the second leg of the, um, well, it was real life paleo, right? That we did the book tour together. That was it, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I joined uh, Stacy. So Matt did the first leg with Stacy, and I did the second leg with Stacy a couple years ago. And so this is slightly longer than that, travel wise for me. Um, and so uh, I hope I hope uh, I hope people come out and meet me. And I'm going to do a, a short talk and a Q and A at every single event. The events are all entirely free. Um, a few of them are getting really close to capacity. So please go to the forward slash events and RSVP. That's just to save your spot so that if we do hit like fire code regulations and we have to turn people away, we will prioritize everyone who has RSVP'd and turn away people who didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping everyone comes cause I think it's gonna be lots of fun. I'm, um, this is going to come as a shock to our listeners, um, but I'm kind of a ham in front of a crowd. <laughs> I know pe people are like, what? I never would have expected this. Sarah, funny? Never. Uh, but I, I, I do. I really like to get everyone laughing and um, and we, we have a good time. So I promise good times and hugs. That's what I promise. Well... I know that is a promise that can be fulfilled because I've seen it in action. <laughs> um, I remember a, a number of stops on our joint tour where there was like an endless line. And I remember looking at you a couple of times and being like, oh, my gosh, there are so many people. And you were like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the introvert. You're the extrovert, um, which I know a lot of people don't believe, but it's true. Uh, awesome. Well, how about the second thing that I had? Yeah. Tell me the second thing. I bought essential oils today and I need you to tell me if this is a <laughs> terrible life choice or not. <laughs> so let me just lead in to this, this topic. Okay. So our audience knows that I've given you like a list of homework assignments. Wait, wait, wait. You knew that this was our topic tonight i know she it's, went out you couldn't wait one day to find just, out what i had to say you went listen, out and bought them today it's the end of october and there was like a freebie sale and i got sucked into it so i don't want to talk about it okay let's just i'm just gonna move right along so i gave you this homework assignment and i'm like sarah i need to know the science like first of all I really just want my house to not smell like lizard and teenage boy. Like that's my True. number one priority. Yeah. And teenage boy is a bad smell. It's so bad. It's, it's um, kind of, it's maybe the worst smell. Right. So here's the thing is, um, I'm not doing fragrance. Like I've quit fragrance. That's part of like my whole safer, Skincare, better beauty thing is like fragrance. If you don't know what it is, it's kind of like natural flavors and food, and it's oftentimes really scary stuff. And so there aren't very many options when you're trying to fix the smell and fragrances out. And so I, um, I avoided a classification of essential oils and I'm going to wait to hear what you say before I say it, what I did or did not avoid uh, because I don't want to say I avoided something and you'd be like, well, that's the thing you should have gotten. And, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, and then I've outed myself as an idiot. Um, but I, you know, I, I would really like to know the science on if and how these things can affect the body and not just, like me, but also I was given like death warnings from people that if I diffuse essential oils in my house, my cats are going to die because their livers can't detox it. And so I'm just, I'm just so ready for this episode. I'm like, I got my pen and paper. I'm going to take notes and I'm probably going to be the skeptic that asks all the questions and has you help me. But 
So here's the thing, as I know that a lot of people listening probably already love and use essential oils, and to them, whatever science bombs that you're going to drop about what the science does or does not say, have patience with us. We are utilizing referenceable science in a way that adds meaning and value and not just like anecdotal information. That's what the show is always about. Um, But also to those of you who maybe like me are a little bit afraid that you're entering a cult when you purchase essential oils. (laughs) Like, I, I mean, I say that with love. Because there are plenty of things that I join cults like paleo there's, there's and CrossFit. There's good cults. Yeah. Yeah. The, you there's know, good cults. But I wasn't quite ready to sign up for one. You know, it's just it's like <laughs> I've got a lot of cults already. I don't know that I can add another. And I just, I, I made the leap. And I'm I'm like on the other side of the rope right now, kind of holding out my hand and being like, Sarah. So that's what's happening in this episode. Okay. So no I, um, I went to PubMed. And I typed in the words essential oils and quickly found a few tens of thousands of studies. So then I typed in the words essential oils review (laughs) and found um, a bunch of review articles. um, And I really focused on review articles that talked about essential oils in general. There's a bunch of articles that look at specific families of plants and look at the compounds in those Um, But I kind of wanted, you know, for me, um, I have, um, I I mean, I've used essential oils in very specific circumstances in the past. Um, I have taken oregano oil for a cold before, Um, you know, there's, there's been, um, you know, like, I really love the smell of lavender. Um, I find uh, eucalyptus to be really great for a head cold, um, and I used to use it for asthma symptoms. So there's like certain times where I have used an essential oil, but I've never really gotten into, especially the blends, right? The blends that are uh, this essential oil is good for digestion, or this essential oil is good for uh, promoting sleep. And I've, I've, um, I think there's a really big difference in something that we're going to have to sort of separate out a little bit is the use of essential oils as aromatherapy versus the use of essential oils as uh, an oral supplement or topical. And that, that's definitely worth kind of separating those out. But so what I ended up doing was reading probably 30, 35 abstracts and then three in-depth review articles all the way through. And um, it, so, I mean, I, I want people to kind of know the amount of research that I was able to do for this, um, in order to kind of put the information I'm going to give into context. Um, I actually have a lot of highlighted sentences from these review articles that I just kind of want to read because I felt like the the message that they had was, was the message that I was getting from, from this research. Um, but I want to back up a little bit and sort of define essential oils, So essential oils are a class of uh, what are considered volatile compounds. So they're compounds that um, are very can react very easily with with the environment, with oxygen, or with other compounds. Um, They're complex, and they tend to be characterized by a strong order uh, odor. So they are typically extracted from aromatic plants. So it's sort of, you know, think of lavender oil or oregano oil or thyme oil or clove oil. These smell like a concentrated version of that particular herb, right? Um, So the compounds that are extracted, and they they tend to be extracted uh, by steam distillation. That's the most uh, common method of extraction. Um, But they can be extracted from in some other uh, like cold press techniques as well. They're but they're, they're typically extracted. They're not usually there's not usually like solvent extraction. So they're typically extracted in a natural way because that doesn't harm the constituents. There are over three thousand different essential oils, so different plants in which the essential oils are extracted. Um, and each essential oil is a blend of dozens to hundreds of compounds. So it's not like you. 
extract lavender oil and it's one chemical that smells like lavender, um, that might be 60 to 300 different chemicals. So in these essential oils, typically, they can be up to about 300 chemicals or, or even more. They typically contain more like 20 to 60. And uh, a few of them, you know, two to five would make up most of that. So like half of the essential oil uh, would be these five different uh, compounds. And then the other half of the essential oil, for for example, would be the other 55 compounds. So, so, um, so what happens in scientific studies is these ones that are like the dominant compound, they tend to get studied with much more rigor. But there's this idea in the literature that um, it's not always the effect of the isolated compound so much as the synergy between the, you know, few dozen different compounds in there. So it's, and they're not all rigorously studied. So that's really important to understand. Um, the chemicals themselves uh, fall under a, a, a bunch of different classes. Um, so many of them are uh, called uh, triterpenes, which um, that seems to be one of the dominant chemical types. Um, but they also can be alcohols, ethers, oxides, aldehydes, ketones, esters, amines, amides, phenols, heterocycles, uh, terpenes, aldehydes, um, or I said aldehydes. Um, so there's this huge different like group of chemicals. They're all fairly small molecules. Um, and among the different essential oils, there have been thousands and thousands of individual compounds that have been identified so far, um, mainly terpenes um, and triterpenes. So that's that's the main class. And they have a variety of different activities. So you know how we talk about polyphenols in plants being a major motivator for consuming vegetables and fruit. Um, you know, these are basically, a, you know, phytochemicals that are in aromatic plants, right? A lot of herbs and spices. And so there's not, it's not a big surprise that a lot of the properties that we see in these chemicals are the same. They're phytochemicals. So we see a lot of them um, are anti-inflammatory or immunomodulatory, uh, antio anti-angiogenic. So angiogenesis is the formation of new blood vessels. Um, and uh, dysfunctional angiogenesis is uh, something that happens in tumor growth. So tumors have to grow new blood vessels in order to supply the tumors because tumors tend to be sort of nutrient hogs in the body. So um, something that uh, inhibits angiogenesis is generally considered to be beneficial from a cancer prevention standpoint. Um, a lot of these chemicals have um, anti-tumor effects. Uh, they can cause apoptosis, which is a type of programmed cell death, generally considered a good thing from a cancer standpoint. Um, some of them can reduce uh, allergies. Sometimes some of them inhibit some kind of enzyme activity. Some of them are anti-mutagenic, so they prevent um, uh, mutations in DNA that can lead to cancer. Um, a lot of them have antimicrobial properties, so antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. Some of them can act as insect repellents. Um, and so there's, they're even being, they're, they're interestingly being looked at in the literature um, from the point of view of being able to take advantage of some of these properties and use them as antibiotics, for example, um, or as um, antiseptics. So cleaning products, for example, could be using essential oils to kill uh, organisms as opposed to using, you know, soaps and surfactants and things like that. Um, they're also being looked at for potentially, you know, cancer therapy type properties. Um, and, um, and, and they're also being looked at for food preservation. So as a, you know, additive in foods. So there's a lot of different avenues in which the research comes at these. So questions yet? No, I think, um, 
that's consistent with some of the information I found. I'd be curious um, if you're going to talk about one in particular that I found was more mainstream on a particular blend killing the flu bacteria um, and not just directly, but also kind of from an aromatic perspective. So diffusing. Um, so I'm obviously personally more interested in that than let's say cancer application, which I know is probably something that someone with that situation would be really interested in. Um, so I'm, lo- I'm looking forward into finding out more. I mean, I have tables and tables and tables of individual compounds and essential oils and what type of virus or bacteria they have activity against. So we can definitely, we can definitely get into the weeds at, at that depth if we want to. Um, but let's, I, I want to talk a little bit about the antimicrobial properties in general, because I think this is where, this is where the pros and cons list, I think, of um, essential oils really shines. So um, they, it's antimicrobial properties, a very, very common property of essential oils. Um, but the What's interesting is there's not – generally, they're sort of said, yes, they're antimicrobial, and it's not really clear on whether or not they inhibit gram-positive bacteria, gram-negative bacteria, or fungi, or like where that activity actually – what that activity actually is. So there's certain – there's certain – essential oils or compounds in essential oils that have been well characterized in terms of their antimicrobial activity. But the vast majority of them, they haven't been studied in that level of depth. And here's where that could be a problem because it appears as though a lot of the way that these compounds kill bacteria is that they're cytotoxic which means they're not specific. So they interfere with membranes. They can actually um, disrupt the mitochondrial membrane. So they can get inside the cell, disrupt the mitochondrial membrane, and that causes the cell to die. So the problem with that is that um, if you are consuming these compounds, um, they could be killing any microbes, including probiotic bacteria. And there's actually... Um, you know, this is this is a quote from from one of these review articles. Uh, it emerges that essential oils are effective against a broad spectrum of pathogenic and non-pathogenic microorganisms administered orally. These c- components can control a wide range of microbes, although there is a risk of causing an imbalance in the intestinal microflora. Which means that, right, just consuming antimicrobials, it if we're if that's the goal of an essential oil, for example, oregano oil, which I've done before, um, it it's not going to be specific for the pathogenic bacteria that we're trying to get rid of. It's going to kill everything. And one of the other problems with this is this cytotoxic property means that it can be toxic to our cells. And actually, a variety of essential oils have been isolated as or identified as being hepatotoxic, which means they're toxic to the liver. Um, So and especially these terpenes, which are like the dominant type of chemical that are in um, in essential oils. So, um, you know, here's a here's a quote from from another um, abstract. This was actually just published last month. Uh, especially terpenes that are important components of essential oils with proved hepatotoxicity should deserve more attention. Intensive research into terpenes, metabolism, and toxicity represent the only way to reduce the risk of liver injury induced by essential oils. So there's this this property that seems so attractive at uh, this antimicrobial property because it, in at least many cases, is not specific. It's worthwhile being really cautious about, especially with oral administration, because um, we could be killing desirable strains of bacteria in our gut. um, And there's the possibility that it could be damaging our cells. So really interestingly, there's some studies showing that it can increase uh, cell permeability. So does that mean that essential oils can cause a leaky gut? That has not 
necessarily been studied, but it means that the capacity is there. Um, that being said, I'm not super are, excited about that, by right, the way. I know. I, this is this is where I'm not excited either. But that being said, um, it's one of the reasons why essential oils might make a really good antiseptic, right? Because you could spray a surface with an essential oil to kill because you don't care about probiotics usually on a surface, right? Uh, so you're cleaning your kitchen counters with essential oils. You don't care if you kill everything, right? And so they, they might have some some interesting properties from an antiseptic perspective. And there certainly have been some that have been shown to have particular activity against specific strains. So for example, uh, you were looking for influenza, um, methyl N nonyl ketone, I pronounced that correctly, I'm sure, uh, is a compound in essential oils that has been shown to be effective against influenza. So there's, um, you know, there's some, there's a bunch that are shown to have uh, antimicrobial effects against staph infections, which is cool, against E. coli, which is cool, um, against, but there's, you know, some, you know, some other ones like uh, Klebsiella, you know, these, these are interesting properties. Um, the problem is, is that we go, we look at like um, certain essential oils, they're, you know, they're good against like, here's, here's uh, eucalyptus. Uh, eucalyptus is effective against staph, pneumonia, um, uh, enterobacter, which is a a bacteria that causes uh, GI, like stomach flus, um, strep, uh, group A strep, um, and then it's also it's also effective against Bacillus cirrus, which is probiotic, Lactobacillus, super important probiotic, Saccharomyces, uh, serv- oh now cerevisiae, I can't remember if that's a good one or bad one, so there we go. Um, so it's it's got these like probiotic strains that it's effective against as well. So is that going to be a problem with aromatherapy? Probably not, but it's definitely where it's, you know, consuming essential oils becomes uh, a little bit more risky because we really just, we don't know a lot of the time. Um so I think it's important to kind of go through some of the other main properties of essential oils. Um, although keeping in mind, here's another, here's another quote. The identification of active components of essential oils and understanding their mechanism of action in addition to that of the essential oil mixture is essential because in most cases, um, we don't. We don't really know what the essential oil does. We've got these sort of various, you know, properties. Um, but we don't necessarily know all the details and we don't know how. So there have been some studies looking at, um, so there have been some studies looking at the sort of anti-inflammatory and immunomodulatory effects of some essential oils. And this is always interesting to me because I think that one of the reasons why we reach for essential oils is because, uh, Separate from the the idea of I want my house to not smell like teenage boy, I think the more common path to essential oils is uh, you know looking for a therapeutic effect. And a lot of brands make very very big promises with their essential oils in terms of what they're going to do for our health. So diving into potential anti-inflammatory properties, I think is really interesting. And there are definitely some essential oils with really strong anti-inflammatory properties that have been very, very well studied. So, for example, tea tree oil, um, we know that it is anti-inflammatory through a reduction of a cytokine called interleukin-8. Um, and it also is very, very potently antimicrobial and antifungal. Um the uh, one of the compounds in clove oil has been shown to be very anti-inflammatory through reduction in interleukin one beta, interleukin six, and interleukin ten, and actually can prevent the inflammation from endotoxin, which is very exciting. Probably through NF kappa B. So um, these are 
really, really common inflammatory pathways that are being suppressed by clove essential oil. So that's why it's anti-inflammatory. Um, it may actually have an, uh, direct action on the innate immune system by blocking responses of toll-like receptor 4, which is a major receptor type in uh, sentinel cells like uh, dendritic cells and macrophages that ramps up the innate immune system. Uh, parsley um, essential oil has been shown to be anti-inflammatory by controlling the production of nitric uh, oxide in the body. So nitric oxide is produced by a few different enzymes and is generally um, considered to typically has anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, lemongrass has also been shown to be a pretty uh, potently anti-inflammatory um, uh, essential oil through direct action on certain cell types like macrophages. Uh, mentha arvensis essential oil um, also inhibits production of um, TNF-alpha and inhibits some of the effects of TNF-alpha signaling. So uh, that's like pretty exciting. So there's like these few essential oils that have really exciting immunomodulatory effects and the mechanisms of action are, are fairly well understood. Now, can you expand that to all essential oils? Absolutely not. I mean, that's so, the problem where you're talking about 3,000 different essential oils and, and tens of thousands of compounds among them. So before we jump into that broader spectrum, I guess the question that I would have is when you're looking at the effects of these, because you're finding science that's showing the actual effects of things. And then there's also, let's say, like the, you know, the big book of oils, I can look up let's say oregano, for example, and it will tell me that it um, will do what you described earlier and, and have specific recommendations. And um, in that case, I know that oregano oil ingestion is recommended. So in the science that you're reading for these immunological benefits are, is the mechanism for consumption, i.e., you know, is it ingestion? Is it on the skin? Is it diffused? Um specified or I guess I'm just trying to figure out um, where one would find information with scientific references that support what is safe or dangerous. And, I, and, and you know, I know that that's kind of going to uh, a red flag kind of trigger word for people, but there are, essential oils that are not for consumption. And I've, I've seen like home use people um, saying or recommending putting essential oils into food or drinks and people who actually know about those oils in depth to say, no, don't consume that. It's dangerous. Right. So it's like how, and you can't possibly do this in a podcast. Like how does one, source that information? How does one find um, the mechanism of maximum benefit or the warnings of what, you know, can either help you or as you've described, as I kind of anticipated, the some could potentially harm you in some circumstances? So when it comes to the use of essential oils for aromatherapy, uh, the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy, or NAHA, um, and the Alliance of International Aromatherapists, um, are they actually set the educational standards for aromatherapists, and they um, have uh, information on their websites, um, as do the International Federation of Aromatherapists. Um, about the safety of various essential oils, and the FDA also has information. So most essential oils have been uh, classified as generally recognized as safe, although not all, um, and that's information that's on the FDA website. I mean, my where I always go, right, as I, I go straight to, to PubMed, and that's, uh, you know, freely available um, for people, although it's not always easy to read a scientific abstract and get the information out of it. Um, 
I mean, generally, I feel like um, there's very few cases where consumption is worthwhile. And I almost feel like, you know, a um, functional medicine specialist or an integrative medicine specialist is going to be able to help you help someone who wants to take oral essential oils for specific therapeutic purposes is going to be able to be the person who can dive through that scientific literature on your behalf and figure out if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I think there's a lot of uh, purported benefits that are not very well um, substantiated by scientific evidence. Um, A lot of the studies are done in cell lines. So, you know, put some of the essential oil in in a mixture of bacteria and see what happens or put it on some live mammalian cells and see what happens or it's done in rodents. Um, And because essential oils have been used more in animal feed, it's easier to put something in animal feed than it is to put in the human food supply. So some of the data comes from there. Um, You know, generally... If you're just looking for the, I like the anti-cancer effects, you know, eat the whole food, right? You know, rather than this concentrated, you know, subcategory of compounds, right? We know that when like herbs are rich in a variety of vitamins and minerals and a lot of these phytochemicals and you, you mitigate a lot of the risk when you're consuming a whole food as opposed to these isolated compounds, um, you know, generally these compounds are their natural role in the plant. Uh, part of it is protection, like protection from pests. Um, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, attracting insects to pollinate or um, repelling insects from eating, right? They, they have a lot of effects. It's actually really interesting. That's why certain essential oils can work so well as insect repellents. Um, it, it has to do with the role that those had in the plant. Um, and what's really interesting is that even though a lot of essential oils are cytotoxic, they don't, a very, very few of them appear to be mutagenic. So in fact, a lot of them seem to prevent, uh, genetic mutations. So that's a really interesting thing. So even though they're cytotoxic, they don't appear to increase risk of cancer. So they might be able to cause uh, bacterial imbalances in the GI tract. Um, if they got into your body, they could potentially damage some cells, but they don't appear to increase um, cancer risk. They don't appear to, to tap into any of those mechanisms. And they do also tend to possess antioxidant properties. So um, that's potentially protecting against oxidative damage. Um, so there's there's some really interesting there's some really interesting properties. Um, and there's certain there's certain essential oils that are very, very well studied. Uh, so for example, um, uh, hang on, what's it called? Mertinol, mertinol, um, is a very well studied as a sort of anti-cancer um, compound in essential oils. It's found in a variety of uh, aromatic plants like pepper, cumin, mint, eucalyptus, and um, it it really does appear to have some some very beneficial properties. I can definitely make sure that there's links to these reviewer articles that I've been reading in the show notes. Um, what's interesting about them is they do have, quite a few of them have tables that go through the different essential oils and the um, uh, the microorganisms that they're known to be toxic against, um, as well as uh, some other properties. So that can be a helpful guide. But as I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the big book of essential oils. I don't know how well researched it is or how um, rigorous the recommendations are. Have you, do you have a sense of that? So the information that, you know, I originally received when I reached out to people that I knew about it um, was certainly uh bias perspective, right? It was like, if 
if it was somebody who's really into something, then the information that I was receiving only supported that side of things. So when I went out and, and looked, I don't have um, the same connection on the PubMed side to be able to find the detail um, that you were able to look into specific to certain types of oils and what they may or may not help. Um, although I did find, um, one item in particular, like I said, about the flu, uh, the flu bacteria, uh, mostly what I found, um, what I, what I tried to do was weed through the bias to say, okay, like this article is referencing in, in my particular case, I'm specifically interested to find out, um, the degree to which certain oils might be uh, difficult to detoxify from one system because um, the essential oil issue that I was finding that I was concerned about was that it would be difficult for the cats to detoxify the diffused aromatherapy oils. And, um, I was also seeing on the other side, this kind of bias of, you know, so-and-so I I know this person and, you know, their cat, their dog, their whatever all died of liver failure from um, oils. And so asking for proof of that, there was no proof of that, but at the same time learning that cats do not have very good liver function when compared to let's say humans, Um, so what's the middle ground, right? Like, and what I found was that, um, citrus in particular was difficult. Um, so I was kind of curious when you said lemongrass was one of the ones that was good for, um, anti-inflammatory, but I'm pretty sure lemongrass is not classified as a citrus that it's actually probably, yeah, it's probably like a, um, like a grass family or something, right? Like, I don't know what they call those, like rhubarb or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know what family that is, but, um, anyway, my, my point being, um, it seemed that what would be most problematic for cats to deal with was citrus. And so the, uh, oils that I purchased just didn't have any citrus in them, whether or not there was truth to it, it just didn't seem worth it to me. Um, And because the mechanism that I could find, the science that I could find, did confirm that cats don't have good liver function as, you know, like, well, it's not like there's something wrong with their liver. They just just have different livers. Um, And so I didn't want to create kind of a hostile home environment for them. And then, you know, I plan to, as much as I want to diffuse the whole house, um, do it in certain zones so that they can instinctively go to a zone of the house that doesn't have it in it. If that's easier for them, because I was reading from kind of like veterinary records where the doctors weren't sure if it could or could not harm, but they were like, the thing to do is just not to like, if you have an apartment, don't have it going all the time because then the cat can't catch a break. So if, you know, fortunately for me, I have a larger house so I can run it on one side and not the other or, you know, the cats can be let outside or whatever the case may be. So um, that's what I decided on the cat front. And I think from like a human front, I just wanted more information. And I think you've got information overload on um, the the ins and the outs and the goods and the bads, because I think um, it really is polarized a lot of the time. Like I see people come at it from one direction or the other. And it's really, I know exactly how people feel when they come to paleo and like somebody's like, you can totally have potatoes. And then somebody else is like, potatoes aren't paleo. Like that's how I felt about oils. Whenever I look into it as like, there would be somebody that would say, you know, this one thing. And then there would be somebody else that would say this other. And I would just be like, totally overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. I can't handle it. Um, so it's, it's been interesting to me to kind of try to find my truth. And part of that is the science. Like for me, that's just 
where my mind goes and, and how I try to derive the truth. So I think um, it's helpful. But to answer your ultimate question, no, I was not able to find non-biased information, particularly on specifics that, to the degree that you are sharing them. Though I did find some information on, like there was one particular brand's proprietary blend that you know, they make soap out of it and laundry detergent and hand sanitizer as well as an oil. And that's because it has been scientifically proven to kill the flu vaccine or the flu bacteria, right? So it's like at flu season, everybody uses that blend on everything. Um, and I think, you know, the – so, okay, let's back up. So First of all, there's absolutely no data looking at essential oils in cats. <laughs> so there's there's zero public published studies on that. Um, so it's entirely anecdotal stories that have led to any kind of information on the internet about that. Um, second, when it comes to the aromatherapy use, uh, it's certainly understood that the compounds in the essential oils are absorbed through inhalation and they are able to cross the blood-brain barrier and can potentially interact with uh, receptors in neurons. And that's one of the mechanisms of action of aromatherapy. And so there's certainly, you know, aromatherapy, having it in the air, we are getting some into our bodies. Um is that good or bad? I mean, there's some really interesting studies. There's some studies looking at certain essential oils and um, use as uh, antidepressants. There's um, studies looking at their use for um, for helping cancer patients and, and potentially increasing survival or quality of life in cancer patients. There's also studies showing uh, some potential for essential oils to help treat ulcers, for example, to reduce oxidative damage. Um, there's even some studies looking at whether or not using essential oils in a diffuser can actually um, help with uh, improving air quality. So there's a lot of really interesting studies. The problem here is that essential oils are uh, – complex mixtures of compounds, the vast majority of which have not been studied. Um, and a lot of them have a pros and cons list. And so it's not a straightforward uh, essential oils are good and it's not as straightforward essential oils are bad. There are certainly some cases where they, they can have some really valuable properties and there are some situations where they could be potentially harmful. So my recommendation, you know, generally I think that aromatherapy is generally viewed as safe, even though we're talking about absorption of some of the essential oils um, and you are talking about some, you know, action potentially even in the brain from that um, you know, all of the information out there recognizes aromatherapy as safe, not necessarily effective. Um, there's certain essential oils that have been well studied in terms of their effects in aromatherapy, but most have not. Um, but they're generally recognized as safe. So I think there's there's two pieces to this, right? There's the, is this going to give me the purported benefit? And is this a safe thing to play around with? And I think when you're talking about essential oils in a diffuser, or even um, applied to skin as aromatherapy, the amount that it's absorbed, it's very different than consuming it orally. And I think you're talking about a situation that is, um, you know, much, much safer in terms of experimentation. Uh, oral consumption, I think there's a lot of reasons to be concerned, um, even for a lot of these beneficial ones, right? The ones that, you know, kill the, you know, all kinds of bad things also kill all kinds of good things. And so I think when it comes to oral administration, I would only recommend doing that with um, the guidance of somebody like a functional or integrative medical practitioner who is using it for a specific purpose um, and has, you know, dived through the scientific literature and has a really good handle on what that specific essential oil is capable of doing with oral administration. 
Um, and other than that, you know, I think that I think it's a complex issue. I don't think that the science behind essential oils is extremely strong, um, with the exception of, you know, if it's this is this is my rule of thumb with essential oils. If that's an edible thing that it comes from, right? It's rosemary, it's thyme, it's parsley, it's lemongrass. Um, the chances of that being safe are way higher than oh, I wouldn't normally consume that thing. Um, you know, in those cases, then we're talking about um, you know compounds that maybe are. Uh, have more capacity to do harm. So that's, I think, a good place to start. But this is really a, it's a, I'm, every single paper that I read, um, every single section of these review articles ends with, uh, we need more information. This one starts with, Several questions are raised concerning safety and the ratio of benefits to side effects of compounds used in medicine or the food industry, including essential oils. Like it's to me, it's just um, it, it's not a straightforward thing to answer. And what I would end up doing is looking I would end up going to PubMed and putting in the Latin name of every single ingredient in essential oil blend and looking at the, you know, the top page and what shows up. Um, but I, I think that the, the summary is use with caution. Don't buy into the marketing. Um, aromatherapy, almost certainly safe. Um, oral administration, extremely complex use under the guidance of a healthcare practitioner. Does that sound fair? And we don't know about your cats. You're going to need to make that. There's no, there's no studies about the cats. <laughs> my poor cats. I mean, so here's the thing is my favorite cat, the one that Matt and I got first as a couple, it was like, you know what we did. Um, our, our first baby, so to speak, um, died of liver failure. And we weren't using essential oils at all. So it obviously had nothing to do with that. But um, I think when I realized that that's what the, you know, the issue was, I became just a little more cautious and sensitive to it. So um, I'm not going to give anybody any particular recommendations on like what to or what not to get. I just don't think that that's... Um, our place, like you said, um, I think even um, diffusing creates some, uh, to me, potential risk, particularly when it comes to, to cats from what I could read. And so I just don't feel comfortable saying like, you know, what a recommendation on what could or could not be. But I am very interested for um, checking out the show notes on the um uh, immunological benefit ones that you found in some of the tables about particular ingredients and that kind of stuff, because, um, I do think that that would be interesting to try to look into a little bit further for myself on just trying to make the house smell better and knowing if I'm doing that with something that could potentially, um, be better or hazardous than a different thing that I could choose that would still make the house smell better. Right. So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. Yeah. I, so it's, I actually just uh, switched my, my tabs to the uh, hepatotoxicity paper that I was looking at that was just published last month. And what's interesting about this study is it actually says that, um, you know, it, it ends with, we need, we need more, we need human studies. We don't have human studies. Um, but we know that these compounds can be liver toxic from animal studies. And it's really interesting because it says that most of these compounds can easily enter the human body by oral absorption, penetration through the skin, or inhalation, leading to measurable, measurable blood concentrations. So maybe I want to revise my earlier statement and just say generally proceed with caution. Um, if you're talking about measurable blood concentrations from inhaling, that's, um, that's, 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 that's a real, that's, that's a thing. Um, 
you know, and, and certainly, you know, things like a lot of the, the, um, common herbs like rosemary and thyme, uh, parsley, those essential oils have been very, very well studied, but there's, there's, I mean, right over 3000 essential oils, um, something like 500 of them are fairly commonly used. That's just so that's, that's, can you imagine, um, like this, these are not subject to the same kind of rigor as a drug study, for example, right? Um, and there's a lot of, you know, work being done to try and isolate the active compounds to use in drugs. But I, I feel like there isn't as uh, big a demand for proving the safety. Like there, there, you can just you know, you just extract it from a plant and you put it on the market, right? There's recipes on how to make your own at home. So I think it's a uh, proceed with caution, find the information you can look for scientific references. Um, I feel like like all we've done is add confusion. Oh, I know. It really hasn't. Well, so that's, this is the problem, right? If the answer was, yes, this is great. Or if the answer was, no, this is terrible. It would be a really easy podcast. And we would have been done half an hour ago. And we would have been like, yeah, look at all the science that says yay or nay. And then the discussion would be over. This is always the hardest thing for us to discuss on the podcast, on our websites, just in general in our community is wherever there's – whenever you're talking about these complex topics where there's pros and cons and the reason why there's pros and cons with essential oils, it's a little bit different than should we consume dairy? Yes or no. Right. The reason why this is such a complex topic is because we're not just talking about one thing. We're talking about thousands of things and we're trying to classify them all together and group them all together as beneficial or as harmful. And that's just not the case. And even one chemical has some, properties that could be considered beneficial and some properties that can be considered harmful. So then you have to weigh, you know, cost benefit analysis. This is going to kill that staph infection, but it might also kill some, you know, beneficial lactobacillus um, bacteria that I have. Um, We have to weigh the pros and cons of that depending on the situation. And so it becomes, it's just, it's complex. I really feel like it requires a, like, a professional whose area of study is the science behind essential oils in order to actually be able to navigate these successfully. I mean, if you think about all of the botanicals out there, you wouldn't, you, you would maybe go see a botanist or a, uh, you know, physician or naturopath who has, um, some like botany education in order to figure out what herbs are going to be good for your specific health situation. I think it's the same thing with essential oils. I think we're talking about a tremendously huge class of, of compounds with a ton of different effects. And it, it really requires somebody who has studied this stuff um, in, rigorously in order to be able to help us navigate through it. And I don't think that is a, uh, essential oils brand salesperson who has read the sales literature. Um, and I, I don't think that is, uh, you know, like the, the person in the store with the display. Like I, I think it's a different level of expertise and I don't really know who to recommend people talk to, but I feel like the message that I want people to know is that the activities of essential oils are complex. They're not fully understood there's potentially harmful activities. And, um, and so, you know, they're, they're not, you know, it's not something that you can just know is going to be safe and why not try it? Like it's, it's, um, you know, as I said, the FDA generally recognizes these as safe. Um, but that doesn't mean they're all good, right? Like, Aspirin is generally recognized as safe, and that causes an increased intestinal permeability. Well, and not just – I mean, I think – I don't want to get into it, but I think it's a good place to just end and say I don't think that the FDA is who I'm trusting to tell me what's safe (laughs) and and not safe. I think that there's – their level of – the bar that they have is a little different than where I keep my bar. So 
Um, anyway, uh, thank you for managing this complex topic. And while I feel like we were not able to give people a solid conclusion that we like to usually offer, um, it has been, I hope, knowledgeable and helpful for at least people to really look into how something like this would affect their health or well-being in general, both positively and negatively. So it's important to be aware of that. I think ultimately, no matter what, as always, listen to your body, pay attention to the changes that you're doing. If this is something that you introduce in your life, maybe not introduce a bunch of different things at the same time so you can pay attention to see how your body might be reacting to something. Um, And please don't send us a bunch of messages asking that we look into <laughs> research some, individual and, yes in, individual yeah. thing that you're doing for a certain and the next six years looking up individual yes we we will have sarah share some information with you in an attempt to teach you how to fish but we cannot provide um seafood for everybody on this topic it's it's such a huge topic um i mean there really are tens of thousands of studies, um, you know, and they'll look at one individual component of one essential oil and look at one property of it. And so compiling that information is a huge job. And I, I feel like it definitely needs to be done. But I don't even know if there's enough information out there to be able to to form big picture recommendations yet. So I'm sorry it's not a straightforward topic, um, but I think hopefully it's at least food for thought. Well, it was helpful for me if for nobody else, so thank you. <laughs> I want to remind everybody that um, we appreciate your listening, and if you appreciate the show, shopping the links in the sidebar of our blog is very helpful, and I will remind you to try to see if you're in relative close distance to go see Sarah on book tour. Um, We don't very often get around. And so if we're even relatively close, we like to think we're worth the effort. And uh, as Sarah said, she's extremely fun and funny and gives great (laughs) hugs. um, You know, most of the time. So <laughs> most of the time, I don't know. Have I was I thinking ever given like you after, a bad hug after CrossFit. I don't know. I just had this vision of you. I'm like... not going to any <laughs> book signings immediately after, CrossFit. after CrossFitting. That's good. So I will put on deodorant for everybody. I promise. That's, well, there that's you. A... Ha- I mean, that's a pretty. That's a pretty legit promise right there. So I mean it too. So anyway, if you want to have good conversation, good laughs, good hugs, find Sarah on her book tour and go check it out. And we will be back next week. Anything else, Sarah? Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Okay. What? Yay! <laughs> yeah, it was really enthusiastic. <laughs> well, I guess that means I'm ready to podcast. Yeah. yeah. This is a bit intense for me, man. <laughs> I didn't well, have my jazz hands ready yet. I was I was excited that, you know, the whole sophisticated stop it and start it again worked. Yeah, that's what happens when I call IT in. First, he disconnected the cord and plugged it back in. And then he said, hang up the call and call her back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hi. It's like in olden days where you would just like bash the side of the. Remember when we had computer towers like way, way in the olden days? <laughs> well, first you, you blow on it. Yeah, it. you yes. got to get the dust off of it first. Yeah. You just kind of bang, bang. All of a sudden it would work. Yeah. Um, there's uh, some interesting. Um, oh, hang on.
I'm just going to look at this paper. Hang on. Stop. I got distracted. We tell people that this happens, but it hasn't happened in a blooper for a while. So <laughs> here you go, audience. Proof. Sarah reads things. Makes me wait. Uh, oh, they used it as a flea treatment in cats and dogs. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.